We're at that point in the book of Daniel, prophecy of Daniel chapter 9, and we're reading today verses 20 to 27. And here you see the Lord's answer to Daniel's prayer. Moses' prayer, his prayer was a prayer of confession, a prayer whereby he was confessing his sin, his guilt. Think about why God cast his people into exile in Babylon. Why? Because they walked away from the Lord, they departed from him. They were no longer keeping the day of rest. They were worshiping other gods. In other words, they were putting others or other things before the worship of God. And they were not speaking truth to the neighbor. And so God caused it that they would live under the Babylonians for 70 years. So 70 years. And God also caused that his temple would be destroyed. His temple would be destroyed. Jerusalem would be raised to the ground. And so this is where God's people find themselves in the midst of uh, a terrible tragedy, the tragedy of their own sinfulness. And Daniel's been confessing the sins of the people, confessing their guilt. And now we hear God's response through the angel Gabriel in verses 20 to 27. Read that together. Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 to 27. And our focus today is on verses 24 to 27. Now, while I, that's Daniel, was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. And these are the words of our text. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, until the end of the war desolations are determined. And then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. And you're thinking, what does all this mean? But it's a powerful response to Daniel's prayer. And we're going to see how there's so much Bible in this passage. You know, from Leviticus and Isaiah and 
even fulfilled in Christ in the New Testament. So Nehemiah. So we're going to hopefully make that plain as we walk through verses 24 through 27. I trust that we'll be encouraged by it in a day of trouble. There is great confidence for God's people in a day of trouble. So verses 24, 25, 26, 27. So I encourage you just to follow that passage, those verses. We'll look at it and see its fulfillment in the light of Christ. But you know, at the end of Daniel's confession of sin and guilt for God's people in exile, what does Daniel do? He appeals to God to act on his promises. Daniel prays that God might bring an end to the terrible exile of his people who are in captivity. And what does he pray? O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Don't delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. In other words, what Daniel's praying here is, Lord, remember your covenant to do it. He's reminding the Lord to do his covenant, to keep his promises. And now in verses 20 to 27, the Lord responds in a hurry to his beloved Daniel and to his beloved people who had walked so far away from him. He acts on his promises. Boy, does he ever. We're going to see how this promise unfolds all throughout history. So from the time of, let's say, 539 years before the birth of Christ all the way up to Christ, God here is governing, God here is directing all of history to that point of the fulfillment in Christ. But through the angel Gabriel, God promptly answers Daniel's prayer. And here in verses 24 to 27, the Lord is proclaiming freedom. Freedom to the captives. Right? When you think of a captive, we often think of one in prison. Well, these people were in the prison of their sins, in the prison of their guilt, And here the Lord is proclaiming through Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, the release from that captivity. We're going to see, first of all, the prophecy itself, and then the fulfillment of this prophecy in Christ. Everything is Christ-centered in Scripture. Every book, every verse, it all centers on Christ. Christ himself said that, and so we must interpret the Bible in the same way. But if you look at these four verses as a whole, just so that we can make it as simple as possible. These four verses as a whole refer to the first coming of Christ, not the second coming, but the first coming of Christ when he would become a baby in Bethlehem. Okay, And then it refers also to the completion of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, and then 40 years later, God's destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So that's what it refers to as a whole. And God destroyed the city of Jerusalem 70 AD because his people rejected Jesus. Okay, so now we're going to hear the prophecy in its parts. If you look at verse 74, or sorry, verse 24, if you read there, it reads about the period of 77s. I know it says 70 weeks in some scripture, but the actual literal translation is 77s. When you think 70 times 7. 490. So 77s. Think of the Apostle Peter when Jesus says to him, uh, how many times must I forgive my brother? 70 times 7. Anyway, 77s. The 77s covers the entire period from the time that God's people were in exile 
when they were freed by Cyrus, king of Persia, all the way up to the first coming of Christ. That's about, about 550 years, or, yeah, 540 years, that, that period of time. And 77s, you know, 7 often indicates fullness of time. 77s indicates the completion or the fullness of time. Look at verse 24. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and for your holy place. Who decreed it? Who decreed the seventy-sevens for your people and for your holy place? Cyrus did. Cyrus, the Lord used Cyrus, um, used Cyrus to declare a decree, to proclaim a decree that his people should go back to Jerusalem to build Jerusalem, and to rebuild the temple. Okay? And by the end of that period, by the time of the coming of Christ, six things will take place. You see that in verse 24? Six things will take place. Transgressions will be finished. Sins will be brought to an end. Reconciliation, right, will be made for iniquity. Everlasting righteousness will be established. Vision and prophecy will be sealed. The Most Holy One will be anointed. Who does this refer to? To Christ. The angel Gabriel saying this to Daniel six or 550 years before the coming of Christ. God clearly governs all history. He directs the course of history here. No governor, no king, but God himself is the one who governs history. So yeah, it refers to the Christ, the work of Christ. Specifically, it speaks of Jesus coming to die. Sin and guilt. The sin and guilt of his people will be dealt with. Once and for all, in the Son whom God will send, the Messiah, the Christ. He came to die for our sins so that through him we too might die to sin and be set free from it. That's the greatest oppression on earth. There's no greater oppression, no greater slavery than to be enslaved to the power of sin. I know that's the opposite of what you hear from the world, but this is you know, the Lord's word here. Christ came to set us free from that and to raise us to a life of righteousness. Okay, those things Christ himself will do. He came, it says here, to seal up vision and prophecy. What's that mean? Well, the word of God culminates in Christ. He's the last word. Hebrews 1 verse 1. He's the one who fulfills all of God's word. He's the one who who seals it. Think of uh, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. The Bible says, for all the promises of God are in him, are in Jesus. And they are yes, and in him, amen. Jesus comes, and he makes it official. He authenticates everything that God speaks here, and he seals it with his blood. Here, my sacrifice, that finishes all your transgressions and all your sins, and that brings you into the presence of God, clean. And then he goes on to say, the most holy will be anointed. 
Well, he knows that you read through scriptures. Christ was anointed at his baptism. He was anointed for his burial. He was anointed when he uh, ascended into heaven and rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, right? Crowned with glory and honor. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. The most holy will be anointed. That's verse 24. Now, verses 25 through 27, the Lord through Gabriel divides the 70 weeks. So it talks about the 70 weeks or the 70 sevens. And he divides it into parts now. He's going to divide that period into parts so Daniel can understand God's sovereign hand in history. No, Cyrus is not in control. No, the Greeks are not in control, and neither the Romans. The Lord is guiding his, is, is his sovereign hand that, that directs all of history. And so now he gives Daniel further understanding. Verse 25. Okay, so there, talk, 24 talks about the, the 77s, right? Verse 24 speaks of the 77s. Verse 25 talks about the first 69 sevens. Okay, so there's one more seven after that. But verse 25 speaks of the first 69 sevens. And if you look at verse 25, it divides the 69 sevens into two. One week, or seven weeks, I should say, and 62 weeks. So seven and 62 is 69. So 69 sevens. The first is seven sevens, and the next is 62 sevens. Look at verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth is his command to restore and build Jerusalem. That's the command through Cyrus. Until the Messiah prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again, the wall, even in troublesome times. Yeah, the decree. You read that in Isaiah 45. The decree of the Lord went through Cyrus, the king of Persia, who was then owning the exiles, to return them, to restore them back to the land so that they could build the temple and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The Bible says that God raised Cyrus up for this very purpose. So yeah, it speaks of the seven weeks. And what does the seven weeks refer to? The seven weeks refers to the time of Cyrus, the time that Cyrus sent Israel back, to the time of the end of Nehemiah. You read the book of Nehemiah. That goes till about uh, 440, so the year 440. So from 539 Cyrus, 539 years before Christ, to 440 years before Christ. So that time period, that's the first set of sevens. Okay? And what does God say to Daniel? Who, who's, God is telling him the future here, right? He's foretelling the future. And what's he telling Daniel? He says, Jerusalem will be rebuilt, and also the wall. And you read the book of Nehemiah, and it's exactly as the Lord had prophesied. During that time, Nehemiah went back with the exiles, and what did they do? They built up Jerusalem, they built up the walls around Jerusalem. And they were troublesome days, as verse 25 says. They were. You read the book of Nehemiah, what do you read? You read about Sanballat always trying to hinder the work of the Lord. And you read about Tobiah and all the other enemies who tried to stop the progress of God's kingdom on earth, who tried to stop the worship of God's people. But remember the Lord? Remember their prayer? Lord, remember your covenant to do it. 
And God kept his word. Through all the trouble sometimes, God was faithful to his covenant. God was faithful to his people, though they didn't deserve it. But he kept his promise for the sake of Christ. Okay, so there were still 62 weeks after those seven weeks. Still 62 weeks until the coming of the Messiah. Now we speedily go through that, the next 62 weeks, because there's not much said there. But it does speak about the final seven weeks in verses uh, 26 and 27. 26 and 27 describe the final seven of the 77s. Okay, so the final seven. Verse 26, the last seven is spoken of here. What happens during this final period of sevens? The Messiah will be crucified. Jerusalem and the rebuilt temple would also be destroyed. And that speaks about 70 years after the birth of Christ. Look at what verse 26 says. And after the 62 weeks, so that's after the 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Who will he be cut off for? For us. We're guilty. And we need to confess that. That's what Daniel's confessing here. And now Daniel's being really encouraged because God's going to send his son who, whom he will cut off. Right? Not for himself. And then it says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood until the end of the war of desolations are determined. Yeah, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Here Daniel speaks from Isaiah. Isaiah 53, verse 8. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. He was cut off. What does that mean? He was excommunicated. He was excommunicated from God. Excommunicated from people, the church. Excommunicated from the living. When? When did that take place? When he took upon himself the sin, the guilt that imprisoned us all our life. He took that upon himself. And when he took that upon himself for his people, that meant at that point the Father, God the Father, cast him out. Remember those words on the cross? My God. My God. Why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you desolated me? God is remembering his covenant to do it. This is the only way forgiveness of sin can be obtained for his people and that they can be set free. Our sins were put on Christ. And when they are God abandons his only begotten son and leaves him for destruction at the hands of the Gentiles. Our sins are upon Jesus. God abandons him. And notice the result. Everything is taken away from him. His robe, his friends, they desert him. He has nothing left. He was cut off. God destroyed the temple. 
and raised it in three days. That's the temple made without hands. You know, God was telling Daniel, yes, the temple will be rebuilt, the worship will be restored, but he wants to see, he wants Daniel to see beyond that and say, the temple that I'm, I'm working towards is that temple that is made without hands. That's the Christ who died and rose again from the dead. And all who believe in him are the temple now on this earth. The glorious temple. And that means the Jerusalem and the old temple are now desolate, useless. Okay, people put a lot of stock into Jerusalem today and the temple. It's irrelevant now. It's finished. Right? And you notice here, it talks about here the people of the prince. It's not in capital P, so it's not the people of the Messiah. But the people of the prince refers likely to the Romans who came into Jerusalem 40 years after the death of Christ and desolated the city, brought a finality, an end to temple worship in Jerusalem, thereby declaring and proclaiming that the Messiah has come and he has come to build his church. That was all determined in his plan. That's how the text ends there, right? It was all determined by God himself. You go to verse 27 now. It describes the final period of sevens in just a little bit more detail. You notice that the final sevens is divided into two halves. The first half refers to Christ, right? And to his sacrifice and bringing an end to all offerings and sacrifices. The other half... The last half of verse 27 refers to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. But notice the first half. It says, Then he, referring to the Messiah, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. The middle of the week speaks of the, of the first half of those sevens. Right? What happened here? In the ministry, Christ did confirm his covenant with many. God remembered his covenant to do it. What did Christ do? He preached the gospel. What else did Christ do? He healed many. He cleansed. He cleansed them. Right? All to show that he came to reverse the curse. And more than that, in the middle of the week, that is the final, in the final period of sevens, Jesus died for his people, for their sin and guilt, bringing all sacrifices to an end, for he is the perfect sacrifice to God for our sin and guilt. Don't think that when Christ comes back again, he's going to rebuild Jerusalem. It's not true. It's finished. His people are the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem on earth. The new Israel. The people of God. Christ came to bring forgiveness. His sacrifice brings forgiveness. The Lord proclaims freedom, a greater freedom to the captives, a greater freedom than from exile, that is a greater freedom from sin and guilt. And that leads us to our second point, final point. What do we see in Christ, the fulfillment? And I want to share something here that a pastor shared with me and forwarded to me, and I'd like to just share the same thing that he wrote. And I thought it puts it very clearly. He says, you notice this prophecy begins with 77s, verse 24. 77s. That's the literal translation. 
And the 77s are perhaps best understood in the light of the Old Testament Sabbath. And you notice that in the Old Testament, if you read Leviticus, every seven years was a sabbatical year. Every seven years was a sabbatical year. What did that mean? According to Leviticus 25, every seventh year was a Sabbath year, and it was a land of it was a year of rest for the land. So no one was allowed to plant crops every seventh year. Okay. After every seventh sabbatical years, so after one seven, the next seven, so after 49 years, there was a year of jubilee. That marked the 50th year. On the year of jubilee, the trumpet sounded throughout the land. The 50th year was a special year. And at the sound of the trumpet, liberty was proclaimed through all the land. What happened? Those who were sold as slaves and had to sell their property, the property was given back to them. Their debts were canceled. The slaves were set free. The year of Jubilee was a year of liberty. Now turn to verse 24. Seventy-sevens are spoken of by Gabriel. And that brings us to the greatest Jubilee ever. The ultimate jubilee. Seventy-sevens, 490, brings us to the tenth jubilee. Because how many in 500? How many 50s? Ten. Okay, 77 is 490, and that leads to the, the tenth jubilee. What do you hear in Isaiah 61 concerning Jesus? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And you go to Luke 4, and Jesus reads this very passage in the synagogue at Nazareth. All eyes are appealed upon him. And he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And now, see now. You live in the day. We don't longer live in the days of Daniel. We live in the days of so much greater riches of Christ. Jesus came to inaugurate the 10th Jubilee. We're in that now. And of course, it will come to its fullest realization when Christ returns with the trumpets and the clouds of glory. Through Jesus Christ, what has happened? Slaves can be released. The debt of sin can be forgiven. The slate can be wiped clean. You see, the Lord here through Gabriel was prophesying the ultimate jubilee, the great tenth jubilee. Christ came sounding the trumpet, as it were, and he sounded the trumpet, signaling signaling the arrival of the great and glorious jubilee. 77 is the great consummation of redemption, of salvation. So yeah, Gabriel's message is truly the gospel message. It's the gospel that was given here in verses 24 through 27 for Daniel and for us. It's just that Daniel lived before that time. We live in the days of its accomplishment. You feel burdened by the weight of your sin? and guilt 
before God? You know, when we do, when we feel burdened, you know, because we know our sins are many, and the guilt that comes with it, we need to remember Jesus, the one who proclaims freedom to the captives. In him, by trusting in him, he forgives all our debts, the debts of sin. Our slate is clean, and he restores us to a right relationship with God. That's the good news of the 77s. That is realized in Christ himself. But it also gives a warning in verse 27, doesn't it? Those who reject this jubilee, those who reject the Lord Jesus, judgment and destruction is upon them of the most terrible kind. And you see a picture of that in the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. Notice verse 27b. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. What does that refer to, the wing of abominations? It seems from Numbers 25, or sorry, Numbers 15, the wing may refer to the garments of the high priest. Okay, the high priests of Israel. And here at that time, they rejected Christ, and so the garments that they were wearing, the priestly robes that they were wearing, were detestable robes, unholy robes. And because of that, they brought upon themselves the desolation of Jerusalem and the temple because they refused to accept Christ as the Messiah. What do they do instead? Read the book of Acts. Again and again, you read about the high priest, the high priest, the high priest, the high priest in charge of the Sanhedrin, persecuting believers, putting Peter and John in prison. James was executed, murdered, Apostle James, and in persecution of the, of the early church, all headed up by the high priest, the wings of abomination. Until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate, says verse 27. God raised the Roman army under Emperor Titus, sorry, the, the army general, Titus, to destroy Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is forever desolate. It's no longer God's city because God's city is now in Christ, in Christ alone. What's the message for today? The ultimate jubilee has come in Christ and it will be fully realized, the ten will be fully realized when Christ returns with the trumpet sound. A new heaven, a new earth, Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, built for his bride. No more sin, no more death. Life forevermore. What terrible news for the world of unbelief. But great news for those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. Yes, they will suffer for their faith. As Peter says, for a while, for a short time. And so we pray, Lord, remember your covenant to do it. You know, and whatever outcome there is of the federal election tomorrow, God's people 
should never be shaken. Never. God is the one who raises kings and brings them down because he's always working for his bride, the bride of Christ, which is the church of Jesus Christ. Who are the ones who should be shaking? Not God's people, but the kings. Think of Psalm 2. Kiss the son, O judges of the earth, lest he be angry in the way. Wow. Our confidence is in the sovereign God who directs all of history. And he will continue to work out his covenant for his people. He will continue to direct history. In the meantime, the church proclaims the good news of Jubilee, proclaiming liberty to the captives, those still in the debt of their sins, in the prison of their sin and guilt. You know, so often I think the church follows the world. The church, I mean, the world gets scared, and the church gets scared. The world gets scared, yes. They're in fear and despair. But the church should take the lead. Because our confidence is not in what the world says. Our confidence is in what God says. No, we need to challenge the narrative out there. Because we have a greater God. We have the true and living God. You know, there is no greater oppression, no greater slavery in the world than those who are bound in their sins and bound in their guilt. Isn't there? Can you think of any greater oppression? The world is always talking about slavery and oppression. Those are symptoms of something far deeper. That's what Christ came to do. No governor, no king, he can heal a nation of that. But Christ can. He came to dare proclaim freedom to those who are in their sins and guilt. And therefore there's no greater freedom no matter what our background, no matter what our status in life. There's no greater status, there's no greater freedom than the freedom that Jesus himself gives. The risen Lord Jesus is the place in which we are to approach God. He's a sacrifice which brings forgiveness. That kind of hope triumphs, replaces despair and fear we see all around us. It replaces death with life. Light instead of darkness. And so, yeah, today is the day to spread the good news of Jubilee. Isn't it? Christ has won. We are in that time now, the tenth, the final period of time, the final period of the sevens. And that brings us back to Daniel's earlier vision. Remember what Nebuchadnezzar saw? He saw Jesus, the stone, that crushes the kingdoms of the world, the kingdoms built by human hands. That stone crushes those kingdoms, and this kingdom continues to grow and grow and grow till it fills the whole earth. God's people are on the winning side, if we can put it that way, on the winning side. It doesn't always look like that. Jesus, the Son of Man in Daniel 7, who ascended to heaven to receive the kingdom, right? All dominion belongs to him. In a time when the world is in the grip, in the control of fear and despair, 
we are under the control of a Savior who so loved us. And so we bring that message, do we not? Proclaiming freedom to the captives. We'll sing it. We'll sing this song in a few minutes, but maybe just a short part of it from Michael Card. It goes like this. To be so completely guilty, given over to despair, to look in your judge's face and see a Savior there. Jubilee, Jubilee. Jesus is our Jubilee. Think of the 50th, the 10th. The tenth jubilee. Debts forgiven. Slaves set free. Jesus is our jubilee. And so blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and the Lamb to come forever and ever. Amen.